This is a big year. The Ohio Lottery's golden anniversary. 50 years of excitement, of growing jackpots and crossed fingers. 50 years of funding for schools, of changed lives and brightened days. 50 years of fun. And that is worth celebrating. So watch for can't-miss promotions, huge events, and new games that will make the Ohio Lottery's 50th year its biggest one yet. Learn more at funturns50.com. From muddy jungle paths to snowy trails to rolling sand dunes, the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder is ready to take you to some of the most phenomenal destinations on Earth. In a Pathfinder, it's more than just the arrival. The real excitement comes from the ride to get there. With seven drive modes, Pathfinder's available intelligent four-wheel drive is built for some of the most epic journeys. So chase bigger, better, more exciting adventures in the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder. Intelligent four-wheel drive cannot prevent collisions or provide enhanced traction in all conditions. Always monitor traffic and weather conditions. This on? Hello? Hello? We're all science people. Science! Exactly. Evolution does some pretty funky things. There's chemistry in here. There's biology in here. The old question in science is how do you know that? Achievement equals skill times effort. That's the recipe for success. I'm about to show you something so cool it'll blow your mind. We can make the world better for everybody. Starting now. Greetings, greetings, greetings. Welcome to Science Rules. I'm your host, Bill Nye, and this is the show where science rules. It's a call-in show if you want to be on the show, and I hope you do. Leave us a voicemail at 201-472-0785 or go to your homepage. That's right, askbillnye.com, askbillnye.com. Now today, I am joined once again by science writer, science editor, and dear friend, seriously, Corey S. Powell. Greetings, Corey. Greetings, Bill. Dear friend, right back at you. It's great to be on the show with you, as always. And, uh, Bill, you know, I spent a lot of time on Twitter, and whew, that place is a great, or maybe I should say a terrible place, to hear about people's conspiracy theories. Uh, you yes. know, COVID was developed deliberately at a Chinese germ warfare lab, chemtrails, flat earthers, all that stuff. And, you know, it, it can be crazy-making, but it's hard to tell. Are people really getting more obsessed with these ideas, or is it just easier than ever to hear what's always been out there? That is a great question. That is, is it, have things changed? So, so let's try to find out. Our guest today is Dr. Rob Rutherton, a psychologist at Barnard College and author of Suspicious Minds, Why We Believe Conspiracy Theories, and his newest book, Bad News, Why We Fall for Fake News. Professor Brotherton, welcome to Science Rules. Uh, may I call you Rob? Yes, please. And thank you for having me. No, oh, it's just, it's, this is cool. So, We'll just start anywhere with conspiracy theories. They are rampant, extant, and so on. But how can anybody really? It's the 21st century, people using uh, the internet with computers, with millions of transistors in their phones. How can anybody actually, really, actually believe that the earth might be flat? All right. So you're starting with an easy question there. What is belief? What is the nature of belief? Oh, good. So you're going to answer it for us? (laughs) Uh, I'm probably not going to answer it, but I'll try. So I think this is especially important to think about when it comes to conspiracy theories, because so often you hear people talking about it this way, asking this question, why do people believe these things? 
they're particularly contentious claims and uh, they generate a lot of feeling one way or the other, whether you believe them or disbelieve them. But what is the nature of belief when it comes to these contentious claims, especially if you want to talk about Twitter and the internet environment? What are people saying when they pose these theories? Are they saying they literally believe it to be true or maybe they're signaling something about themselves or something about the world? Um, we don't really know. Or the, is it a spectrum? Is belief a spectrum? Yeah, I think that's the the important part is it's a spectrum. And it's it's natural and tempting, I think, to to go to the farthest reaches when you're thinking about conspiracy theories or anything, really, but to try and to scope out the edges of it, the most extreme cases. And so with conspiracy theories, that's like the flat earth people or, you know, the interdimensional shape-shifting lizard people. Oh, but, yes. oh you, you know about them? <laughs> oh, I've heard of them. Yeah, yeah, I've, yeah. Uh, I've been to My talks. old boss, my old boss. <laughs> you give him too much credit. He, uh, I doubt he's a shapeshifter. Well, he didn't do it on purpose. So, okay, so uh, <laughs> how did you get interested in conspiracy theory? Because, I mean, we all, I think everybody in the scientific community, or how about in science education, we all have a concern about conspiracy theories. Well, so this is where I came to it, I suppose, is from the most extreme kind of theories, the ones that come to mind when you picture a conspiracy theorist, somebody sitting in a basement wearing a tinfoil hat, right? Which is like the aliens, the lizards, the the small group, the smoke-filled boardroom, small group of people controlling the world, right? So that's what I thought of when I thought of conspiracy theories. And when I was a, an undergrad studying psychology in the UK, I just thought that was interesting. Why I had the same question as you. How could anybody believe that stuff? And at the same time, I was interested in broader psychological questions like why do people believe in ghosts or Bigfoot or psychic powers and all these kind of these interesting avenues of psychology. And at the time, this was in about 2008, 2009, nobody much had researched conspiracy theories at the time. No psychologists, anyway. Really? Um, Just a handful. There were a few people who had given it serious thought. And there were other disciplines. There were philosophers who had given a lot of thought to conspiracy theories. But within psychology, it was under-researched at that time. There were a few people. And one of the people who was beginning to research it was my uh, undergraduate project supervisor at the University of Kent, Karen Douglas. Who's still she still actively researches conspiracy theories. So by, so, by, by the way, how do you research a conspiracy theory? Do you get online and b- pretend to be somebody else, like, like the king in peasant's clothes? <laughs> right, or do, you, or do you actually do sort of like 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 potted psychology experiments in the lab? How, yeah, how does that work? Yeah, so this is where we get from the the most extreme, outlandish sounding conspiracy theories to the kind of stuff that I actually research and my colleagues in psychology, what we're actually doing. And so for the most part, we're not interested in the prototypical tinfoil hat person the people who have the most extreme, seemingly incomprehensible beliefs. What we're interested in is the spectrum that you alluded to. So everybody seems to be somewhere on a spectrum of entertaining conspiracy theories more or less. And so that's what we're really interested in as psychologists, is not the most extreme cases, but basically everyone. How can we identify where everyone falls on this conspiracy spectrum? And what are the reasons for people engaging more or less with conspiracy theories. And so do you have a way for for testing that or for ranking people? Do you have them like, I don't know, react to a passage or things like that where you can measure their responses? Yeah. So we try and measure conspiracy thinking as almost like a general personality trait. 
And in fact, this was one of the, the first pieces of serious research that I did and that I had published was designing a scale to measure uh, conspiracist ideation or the extent to which one person engages more or less with conspiracy ideas. Is there, before is, you go, before you go, explain the word ideation. It's a word I, I think I love. Am I using it properly? Explain that word. Yeah, I'm glad you called me on that. It's just a fancy way of saying, here's how much people believe this stuff. <laughs> here's it's what their, their ideas are. Ideation is their ideas. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So conspiracy mentality or conspiracy thinking. That's what we mean there. Um, and so before I designed this measure, other people had, had been using scales, questionnaires to measure conspiracy thinking. But generally, these scales, they consisted of just asking people, you know, JFK, do you think it was a conspiracy? The moon landing, do you think it really happened? 9-11, was it an inside job? And questions like that pertaining to specific conspiracy theories, which seems like an obvious and reasonable approach. And it works if you want to know how people feel about those specific conspiracy theories. But also, you use the word scale. So, it's uh, do you somewhat believe? Do you believe? Do you absolutely? Do you absolutely not believe on a scale? What one to five or something? And yeah, there'll be we, thirty of these questions, kind of thing. Yeah, so we do use a scale of one to five as it happens, and we have fifteen of these questions on my. Well, scale. the thing about one to five is there's a middle. Yeah, and so we label that midpoint not sure or cannot decide. And what we find is that most people are somewhere around that midpoint. When we ask these questions to a large number of people and we look at the, the statistics, we find basically a, a normal distribution. Most people are, are grouped in the middle. There are very few people at either extreme. When you say normal distribution, you mean in the formal mathematical sense, a bell curve. Yeah, exactly. Nor- Most people are somewhere in the middle, few people at the extremes. And is that stable over time? Have you looked at that? Like the, the people's, it's something kind of core in your personality? It seems to be fairly stable. So when we designed this scale, we uh, tested people at two points in time, and it was only, I think, a few months apart. And their scores were fairly stable over those couple of months. But um, yeah, it seems like there is a relatively stable conspiracist mentality, conspiracist worldview that some people possess more and some people less. Now, hold on. I have so, to ask you, have you taken that test yourself? <laughs> um, I'm not sure I should reveal that. I, I don't know if it invalidates the scale if I tip my well, hand. I guess the thing, I guess, I mean, can you take it yourself knowing what you know? Well, so another thing worth mentioning about our scale, I think, is that uh, we called it the generic conspiracist scale, by which we mean it doesn't refer to those specific events like 9-11 or JFK, but we, we ask much more general questions about the world. Like, do you think the government generally uh, perpetrates criminal acts and covers it up? Do you think celebrities sometimes fake their deaths to disappear? And so we don't mention Elvis or Princess Diana, but they're these generic questions. And the one side effect of asking these questions in a generic way is that they're not all false. So I certainly wouldn't disagree with all of these statements absolutely. Because sometimes governments do lie. Sometimes there are things that we don't know. People are plotting secret things. And so um, this is a much much broader point about researching conspiracy thinking, is that I don't think it's all outlandish. I don't think it's all necessarily false. So along that line... Climate change has brought out all kinds of conspiracy theories. 
People ask me, Bill Nye, what do I, how do I communicate with people who are in denial about climate change? How do I convince my crazy uncle that humans are causing climate change? How do I do it? And the people, it seems to me, want an answer that's a two or three sentences long. And I say to most people, for most people, it takes about two years. The first time you show her or him, uh, hey, this is really bunk. There's nothing to it. They're in denial. But after the fourth or fifth time and after several months go by, people will change their minds. So do people ever change their mind? Do they ever get convinced in the example of climate change that it's that humans are causing it? Yeah. So you're asking me all the questions that we just don't have the answers to yet. I mean, these well, are the that's, important that's our show. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, well, let me expand on what we don't know. So facts work, uh, as you might hope. Uh, and this is not that obvious. There was some research a few years ago suggesting that facts actually aren't that useful. And in fact, they can backfire. This is called the backfire effect. Uh, a study was published suggesting that somebody believes something that's wrong. You tell them it's wrong and why factually it's wrong. And then a lot of times they double down on their belief. They become even more convinced. I know that that study or that group of studies got a lot of press and a lot of people sort of took that to heart that, oh, you know, just kind of shouting information to people is not helpful. Mm -hmm. And it seems intuitively plausible. I mean, we can all remember times we've discussed things with somebody who disagrees with us and it seemed to have no effect. We could hit them with as many facts as we want and it seemed to do nothing and maybe was even counterproductive. Um, but again, psychological research is never about the one individual. It's more often about the broad trends. And so it seems that as a broad trend, this backfire effect, it just doesn't happen, at least not often, not usually. It's not what usually happens. There was a much bigger uh, replication of this study a few years later, looking at more claims, using more participants, the researchers said they expected to find this backfire effect. They just wanted to produce better evidence of it. And in fact, they find almost no evidence of it whatsoever. All the facts that they used. You're work. saying when, when people are confronted with facts, they do change their minds? Yes, and that, but that's quite a limited statement. So you can change somebody's mind about a fact or a couple of facts, but I don't think you can then expect them to change their entire worldview as a result of that. Well, the COVID virus would be a classic example, right? You can show people the facts that if two people get it, then four people get it, then eight, then 16, then 32, pretty soon you have hundreds of thousands of millions, and they will accept that fact, yet they will not put on a face mask. Mm -hmm. And so this is where we get back to this fancy word ideology, the conspiracy thinking, the mindset that underlies this. You can change people's minds potentially about a few facts here and there but you're probably not going to shift their worldview that much. And some people live in, in a world in which they see conspiracies, some people less so. So does it have to do with whether or not you feel disenfranchised, whether or not you feel excluded? Well, that seems to be a part of it. So one strand of the psychological research has looked for these kind of uh, personality traits or these kind of circumstances which might lead people to engage more or less with conspiracy theories. And it seems like disenfranchisement, uh, feeling a, a lack of control over events in your own life or over the political process, this does seem to correlate with believing more in conspiracy theories. Right. It's, and, and one of the things that's striking is that, you know, in this sort of coastal elite mindset, reporters for 
websites and newspapers who are making, you know, poverty wages are considered coastal elites by people who are millionaires living in the, you know, the sort of the heartland of the country. Uh, you know, it's it's sort of decoupled from a lot of the traditional trappings of kind of who has power. And what you're getting at, I think, is partly uh, political animosity as well, political partisanship. And so it's easy to throw stones, you know, to see enemies on the other side of the fence. And um, I think it's important to step back at some point and, and to realize that we're all trying to do the same thing fundamentally. We're all trying to understand the world. And uh, people just have different approaches to doing that, and they end up with different beliefs. Um, but I don't think it's useful to start a conversation by calling one another stupid or <laughs> well, yeah. bullying each other. Yeah, well, you've, ne- them to change you've never mind. changed anybody's mind by telling them they're an idiot. Sure, it sounds like you're saying that a lot of this is just human nature. So does that mean that you know, people are always feeling like it's getting worse, it's getting worse, social media is making us go crazy, we're, get, we're, getting more, we're getting more and more polarized. Is this the same as it's always been? Or are we just kind of perceiving it more because we're in this moment right now? And that's, that is itself kind of human nature? Yeah, it certainly seems like it. So the best evidence that we have on how much conspiracy thinking has changed or not changed over uh, relatively recent years is this large study that was conducted by looking at letters to the editor that were published in a couple of uh, national American newspapers, the New York Times and the Chicago Tribune, between, uh, I think, the 1890s and the 2010s. And so the researchers just looked at all the letters in there, and they looked for any mention of a conspiracy. And they just counted up the number of times conspiracies were mentioned over the years, and you would expect that it would be a line going way up. Right, that people are talking well, about you conspiracy yeah, stuff. If you think things are worse now than they've ever been, yeah, you might. Yeah, and I think that would have been my expectation as well. Conspiracy theories seem more visible. It seems like people are talking about it more. But in fact, the researchers found that it was pretty much a flat line. And they looked at uh, prior to the assassination of JFK and subsequent to that, you would expect, I mean, a lot of the theorizing was that why are conspiracy theories more common? It's because of the assassination of JFK that caused this shift change that people were more aware of government malfeasance or thinking about it more. But in fact, the researchers find that people were talking about conspiracy theories less after 1963. I mean, in newspapers and so on. Is there a reason for that? Well, it was a slight reduction. I wouldn't overstate it. Okay. My, my overall <laughs> takeaway is that it's a fairly stable background hum. The people talk about conspiracies more or less the same amount over time. And that fits with the psychological picture, which is this this is a mindset. It's a, it's something that's imprinted in our psychology. We think in the, these ways for good reason. What's the good reason? Looking for patterns? Yeah, that's part of it. So some very fundamental uh, psychological habits of mind lead us to see conspiracy theories, but they also help us get by in our everyday life in many other ways. So seeing patterns, it's one of the main things that our brains do. We couldn't get by if we weren't able to spot patterns that one thing's related to another. And so, you know, we make use of this skill every moment of our lives. In some cases, it leads us to think things are connected, which may not be. And so it leads us to see conspiracies which may not exist. Stick around for more science rules after this.
This is a big year. The Ohio Lottery's golden anniversary. 50 years of excitement, of growing jackpots and crossed fingers. 50 years of funding for schools, of changed lives and brightened days. 50 years of fun. And that is worth celebrating. So watch for can't-miss promotions, huge events, and new games that will make the Ohio Lottery's 50th year its biggest one yet. Learn more at funturns50.com. From muddy jungle paths to snowy trails to rolling sand dunes, the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder is ready to take you to some of the most phenomenal destinations on Earth. In a Pathfinder, it's more than just the arrival. The real excitement comes from the ride to get there. With seven drive modes, Pathfinder's available intelligent four-wheel drive is built for some of the most epic journeys. So chase bigger, better, more exciting adventures in the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder. Intelligent four-wheel drive cannot prevent collisions or provide enhanced traction in all conditions. Always monitor traffic and weather conditions. Science Rules is back. So you know, Rob, Bill, this is a call-in show. It's also a write-in show. Oh, yeah. Uh, so sometimes we get emails. It's an email from Allie in Winnipeg who asks, how can we combat conspiracy theories in a way which is likely to make its theorists understand other points of view? I always struggle with people who insist their research is right and refuse to even entertain other ideas. Yeah. So again, this is the fundamental question that the research really hasn't grappled with yet. We haven't gotten this far, at least as far as psychology goes. Like I said, the research has only really taken off in the last 10 years or so, but we haven't gotten as far as how do you change people's minds. And I would argue that we haven't answered the question fundamentally that we should or that we would want to. If we well, could flip a switch and turn off conspiracy thinking, would we want to do that? Uh, well, uh, if it's a spectrum, I would like to attenuate it a tad. So here's <laughs> here's what I would say about uh, as a science educator, the world is less self-deceiving than it used to be. People now believe in germs. People believe in uh, that the, the earth goes around the sun, not the sun around the earth, that our scientific knowledge is indeed advancing. And the more people we have in the world who are engaged in science, the better the world's going to be because fewer people will accept conspiracy theories. So is science the bulwark or the the spear or the thing fighting conspiracy theories or is science just one more thing conspiracy theorists use in a jujitsu fashion to, <laughs> to turn scientific discoveries on their back we always you know science against ghosts science against haunted houses science against um, there is no way to predict the weather does science do anything against conspiracy theories well, look, I'm a scientist. I'd want to say yes, but I don't know. If you look at something like the 9-11 conspiracy theories, uh, say the controlled demolition theories, that the, the Twin Towers were brought down not by the structural damage caused by the airplanes hitting them, but by explosives that were hidden in there. There has been uh, masses of scientific scrutiny of that, both science that probably, I would guess, you and I would accept as being well-conducted and uh, conclusive that it wasn't controlled demolition, that it was a result of the impact of the planes. But there are people on the other side publishing in scholarly-ish journals claiming to be producing what they say is scientific evidence 
that it was controlled demolition. Now, if we scrutinized that, probably we would have some problems with it. I'm not the person to delve into that specific evidence. But I think as a broader point, again, we're all trying to do the same thing. We may be using different methods and coming to different conclusions, but I don't think, uh, I don't think science in and of itself is necessarily the answer. So, well, so hang on. In the case of, in this one example of the uh, Twin Towers being hit with airplanes, people did analysis of how fast things fall on their own versus how fast this supposed demolition, it comes out, you get the same answer. So there is a right answer to that question. And this gets into this thing, which you would call whack-a-mole, where a conspiracy theorist cherry picks a, a datum and presents you with it, and then you just, you... Shout that one down. I mean, that's what climate change contrarians do all the time, day and night, is present. We found a place where it snowed more than it was than it did two years ago. Therefore, there's no climate change. There's also the thing called a gish gallop, which is related to that, where you just like throw, you know, a hundred different arguments at somebody figuring you know, like one of them will stick or so you know, just wear them out. Dwayne Gish in the 1980s, uh, who everybody presented the idea. He was a good uh, evangelical Christian who claimed the earth was some extraordinarily short age, 6,000, 8,000 years. And every time you find a fossil connecting some animal or organism in the past to an organism not so far in the past, Gish would then question the gap between the two fossils. So the thing is, then when you produce another fossil between the two fossils, that creates two more gaps between the new fossil and the other two. And it's just on and on. There's no way to get around it. In this famous debate, he just, he just, the gish gallop just overwhelmed the scientists. Like he couldn't keep up with these, the whack-a-mole quality of this. So, yeah, and I think, I think conspiracy, the conspiracy worldview, it's built on similar logic. Exactly. So as far That's as, what I was going to ask you. Yeah. As far as I define conspiracy theories, and I should say, I think defining conspiracy theory is a very difficult uh, thing. And I have an entire chapter in my book about it, and it's not at all conclusive. But I do think that one characteristic we can look for out of conspiracy theories is that they're unproven by design. And I'm not saying that they haven't met some scientific bar of evidence. I'm saying that built into the logic of the claims is the idea that there's more to the conspiracy than we know currently, that it hasn't been fully revealed. And so I think if you if you put it on that terms with a conspiracy theorist, uh, somebody who believes these things, I think they would have to agree that the theory is currently unproven. And so in science, one of the things we try to get across to people of all ages is you're not allowed to have a, an hypothesis that cannot be shown to be false. Do conspiracy theory thinking people set that idea aside? If you are of this worldview, if you think there is a conspiracy ongoing that's as successful, as powerful as you think it is, then you would have to expect that there's going to be no evidence, no conclusive evidence for it. And so it would be unfalsifiable. If it was working, you would not be able to falsify it. So here's the thing for me as a taxpayer and voter, citizen of the U.S., it does matter if conspiracies are part of our makeup, that we all have a spectrum of, of believing things that can't be proven directly. 
it does have consequences. And I think about our last presidential election where people showed up at some pizza restaurant a few blocks from the White House thinking that there really was a child pornography ring in the basement of this pizza restaurant. Somebody showed up with a weapon. Do you think, uh, is there any way that society could or should address this? Well, again, I think this is a massively complicated question. (laughs) I keep saying I don't have the answers. I don't think that's, um, well, I hope that's not indicative of my lack of expertise, but I think When the more you know about these things, the harder it is to answer these questions. And so one way of looking at it is, yeah, you can point to instances where conspiracy theories had consequences. The um, Comet Pizza guy showing up with a gun. Sure, there was a standoff on a bridge. Some guy in his car had a gun and was uh, a standoff uh, with police. Orson Welles and uh, the uh, Martians have invaded and people did all sorts of extraordinary things as a result of a charming radio hoax well that's another story yeah uh, let's uh, let's hear that story well it, if anyone knows anything about the war of the world orson welles's radio show from uh 1938 it's that it was this radio show about alien invasion it was presented as a news broadcast a breaking news broadcast so it was the first kind of fake news and if you know anything, you know that the nation panicked. The United States, there was uproar, mass panic, people fleeing their homes, highways clogged, people committing suicide to avoid getting blasted by the alien death rays. And uh, the reason why people think that is because it was all over the newspaper front pages the day after the show. New York Times, the Washington Post, basically every national and local newspaper covered this story of mass panic. And uh, it's not true. It's a myth. Basically, there, there's a historian who wrote a wonderful book called Broadcast Hysteria, and he dug into the archives looking for evidence of this mass panic. People wrote a lot of letters and sent a lot of telegrams back then, and so he dug into archives of telegrams, letters that people wrote to Orson Welles or CBS, the network, uh, the FCC, and he found very little evidence of panic. Uh, there was some on an individual level, but almost no evidence uh, of mass panic on the scale that the newspaper headlines conveyed. And so I think this has lessons for us today when we think about these kind of conspiracy theories that still get headlines. I mean, if you look at the headlines about QAnon a couple of years ago, and it still gets some coverage, QAnon, this conspiracy theory that um, basically the Trump administration is nefariously plotting and is in control of everything. There were headlines a couple of years ago saying uh, this was a deranged conspiracy cult that was coming out of the woodwork, hopping from obscure internet forums into real life. And this was going to be, you know, the death of democracy. I think there's a similar story here, which is it makes for compelling headlines, but the reality is much more complicated and often less, uh, less scary than the headlines make it appear. Well, you made reference just now to fake news. It's actually, to me, quite scary. Now, maybe this is my conspiratorial brain at work. But when you have a leader insisting that mainstream journalism is fake, does that have consequences? Or will this just blow over? It'll just be one of those human nature, charming bits of history from the 2020s. It's not unimportant, obviously, that somebody in such a position of power is is talking this way about an institution that's as important as the media, but I think it's uh, at least as much a symptom 
as a cause. I think Donald Trump is tapping into a sentiment that predates him by you know a few hundred years. There has always been distrust and suspicion of the media, basically since it became uh, a business. This is, as you know, a call-in show. And I think we have a call that will take us to the next thing that's really on my mind. You know, this is the regular full-length version of Science Rules, but we have a Science Rules we do uh, every other week about the pandemic. And so we have a voicemail that I hope will tie fake news to a current conspiracy to the actual science that's actually taking place. Roll that digital recording. Hi, I'm just wondering why people think that um, the coronavirus, COVID-19, is a conspiracy. Yeah, why do they do that, Rob? (laughs) Hey, man. That's a good question. Yeah. That's a fair question. I think um, it's a similar question to why do people think anything is a conspiracy? So if if nothing else is clear from the last few years, it's that anything happens in the news, especially something big, noteworthy, newsworthy, there are going to be conspiracy theories about it. Anything that gets us nervous, that uh, impacts our sense of control or understanding, we're going to want to understand it. And for some people, people immersed in a conspiracy worldview, the answer is going to be a conspiracy. Now, sense of control, sense of control gets back to that thing or the disinf- or people who feel disenfranchised, whether or not they really are, are susceptible to conspiracies. Yeah, that's part of it. So why do people have this conspiracy worldview? I mean, we've just shifted the question slightly from why do people think the coronavirus is a conspiracy to why do people think there are conspiracies? So why is that? Well, there are some personality factors like disenfranchisement, la- lack of control, uh, basic mild paranoia and distrust of other people around you, of institutions. And then there are these basic psychological patterns of thought that we mentioned, the seeing patterns and seeing intentions rather than accidents and seeing something big happens, you assume it must have had a big cause. And then confirmation bias, wanting to to support our gut reactions and our hunches. But again, I think this isn't a full answer. I don't want to suggest that it is. I think if you want to know specifically why somebody thinks the coronavirus is a conspiracy, the answer is we don't know. There's probably a lot of reasons, psychological, political, sociological. Um, I don't think we're at the point of being able to say with precision why any one individual or even why a group of people respond to any particular conspiracy theory. So one thing I find interesting in your analysis is... I mean, we, I think we've been framing a lot of this in sort of a sort of an us or them framework. But what you're talking about is not us or them. You're talking about, I mean, you were describing it as a continuum. And even the idea of thinking about it as, you know, us, you know, we're rational, other people are conspiratorial, that that's sort of like a bi- binary way of thinking is not accurate and probably not productive in thinking about how to deal with this. Is that is that what you're saying? Yeah, I think so. I think that's fair. I think another way to look at it is... Again, we're all trying to do the same thing, and in an ironic kind of a way, you can see some of the same habits of mind among conspiracy skeptics as among the conspiracy theorists. And so lately, you you get a lot of stories in the mainstream media about conspiracy theories, and you know they'll quote some experts on the topic, and generally they a common theme is that conspiracy theories are simple explanations for complex events. 
right? And, you know, just dismissing conspiracy theories as this simple explanation for a complicated reality, it's flattering to us, the non-conspiracy people, but I think it's its own kind of oversimplistic explanation. There are even other habits of thought, like a lot of the headlines these days are about this scary conspiracy cult who's going to destroy democracy. It's bad for us all. And, you know, that's its own simplistic kind of black and white, good versus evil explanation for things. Painting us as the good people, the right-thinking people who don't have the bad ideas, and then on the other side, the conspiracy people who have all the wrong ideas and the bad thinking. There is objective truth, though. I mean, this is a big thing in skeptical thought and science. There are things that are provable. Is there any way to get to what you might call objective truths or scientifically provable things? Or is that actually a waste of time? Because everybody has this tendency to think conspiratorially. Let's go back to a war of the worlds, Orson Welles. The fake news headlines about mass panic. It was fake news about fake news. And a lot of people believed it because it appeared in these reputable sources. And in fact, a lot of people enthusiastically lapped it up because... People never thought it was themselves who had lost their mind. It was never me who panicked or my family or people around me. It was always somebody else. And so a lot of the headlines, they were like pithy little stories about somebody in the next village or somebody two states over, you know, everybody losing their minds somewhere else. And people wrote think pieces about this, about how it revealed the stupidity of the nation. But it was always this thinly veiled, the stupidity of other people, them not us. And so again, I think this is still relevant now. When we think about people believing something that seems incomprehensible to us, that seems to us to fly in the face of all available evidence or right thinking, you know, it's tempting and it's easy to just dismiss them as bad at thinking or stupid or they don't have all the facts that we have. But, you know, as a general trend, people aren't that stupid or you know, in an average statistical sense, we're all about average stupid. I mean, it sure sounds like you're making an argument for empathy, which is something I can, uh, I, I hardly endorse. Is that kind of where you're going here? Yeah, I think so. So we talked about facts and how facts can work. They can help. They can change people's minds about those specific facts without necessarily changing their worldview. And so if you want to get through to someone, or if you want to at least have a productive conversation with somebody who seems to completely fundamentally disagree with you, it's probably better not to start from the assumption that they're stupid or they just don't have all your good facts. Science Rules will be right back. From muddy jungle paths to snowy trails to rolling sand dunes, the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder is ready to take you to some of the most phenomenal destinations on Earth. In a Pathfinder, it's more than just the arrival. The real excitement comes from the ride to get there. With seven drive modes, Pathfinder's available intelligent four-wheel drive is built for some of the most epic journeys. So chase bigger, better, more exciting adventures in the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder. Intelligent four-wheel drive cannot prevent collisions or provide enhanced traction in all conditions. Always monitor traffic and weather conditions. You're listening to Science Rules. Uh, You know, Twitter and Facebook, just over the past few weeks, have been trying to address fake news criticisms by putting labels on things to to note things that have been used manipulated media or that have been kind of deemed untrue based on fact-checking. 
does that kind of labeling based on your research, does that help? If people have a sense of you know, what is high quality versus low quality information, does that improve their ability to put together their ideas? So again, we just don't have the answers here. This is an incredibly difficult question. I think on a small scale, it probably helps if what you want to do is reduce the amount of false claims out there or reduce people's likelihood of accepting those claims uncritically. But if you think that this is somehow going to solve you know, the credibility issues of the media, of social media, of partisanship, then I don't think that's going to be the answer. Well, I guess the question is, does it help around the edges? Does it help people who are maybe in that kind of soft middle where they're not sure what's high quality and what's low quality information? Yeah, potentially. I mean, again, you can present people with facts and they update their beliefs accordingly for the most part. And the more that you see a claim repeated, the more likely you are to accept it, to entertain it. And so reducing the frequency that people are seeing false claims is probably going to be That's a, I mean, uh, this a is an old benefit. Trick. You know, people are saying, I've heard it over and over again. I mean, this is the nature of rumors, I suppose. So along this line, though, do you think... But- do you think Twitter and Facebook and social media, electronic social media, will be regulated in the same way traditional news outlets are? You're not allowed to just print anything about anybody without consequence of lawsuit. Do you think social media are going that way? And do you think conspiracy, conspiratorial thinking is driving that? Uh, with the War of the Worlds, people were calling for regulation of the radio after that because of this panic, which hadn't happened. People said, we need to regulate this new medium because it can create these panics, because people are too stupid to listen to it in a sensible way. They said, we, how can we have these radio shows which have special effects? Like you hear a gunshot on the radio. How do you know it wasn't in real life? You know, because the radio was a new technology at that time. I think it was entirely reasonable to have some fears, reservations along those lines, because you don't know what a new technology is capable of necessarily. Hey, Corey. Wait, Bill, I hear something. Do you hear? It's like a, a rumbling, a crackling. Uh, My goodness, like I think some, the Earth, there's it, a electrical, electric discharge between clouds and the Earth's surface, superheating it, the Earth's air, the it atmosphere. Is, it, the Cre- air is just expanding like crazy due to that superheated plasma. It's making thunder. It's lightning. It's a lightning Round. round. It's time for a lightning round. Dr. Brotherton, what is the best conspiracy theory you've ever heard? Well, so I love the interdimensional shape-shifting lizards, right? And I've been to two all-day talks about those, 12 hours each, uh, by David Icke, a British conspiracy theorist. So there's nothing concise about that whatsoever, but I enjoy it as a worldview. What's enjoyable about it? Well, it's enjoyable thinking about how could anybody possibly believe that? Right? I mean, why does it need to be a 12-hour talk? David <laughs> Icke starts by saying, well, here's what we all know and agree, right? 9-11 was an inside job. You can't trust politicians in the media. But now here's what they don't want you to know, is that it's all interdimensional reptiles. Oh, of course. And so it's this gradual progression of like, well, here's what we can all agree on. And now here's <laughs> what I'm going to teach there, you. And was, then, was there any point during that 12 hours when you thought, you know what, I could, I could see falling into this worldview. I could, I could see believing us. <laughs> well, of course, I maintained my uh, complete scholarly detachment. But I spoke to one guy. I, I went to one of these talks in Brooklyn a few years ago, and I spoke to a guy outside 
His name was Dante. And I asked him if he believed all this stuff, all the aliens, everything. And he said, well, I'm just sitting on the outer edge of the rabbit hole. and My legs are dangling over the side. And I thought that was a nice way of putting it. And I thought, you know, that's a relatively reasonable place to be. And it's where we all are, to some extent, at least, not dismissing absolutely every claim, entertaining uh, skepticism and suspicions, but not going all the way in either. Uh, what's a conspiracy theory that turned out to be true? Oh, there's so many. I mean, even the most seemingly outlandish sounding prototypical conspiracy theories, like the American government is secretly experimenting on minorities' health, right, and covering it up for decades. Well, that's true. That's the Tuskegee study. Or, you know, the president is spying on his political rivals. You know, Nixon, these things happen. There you go. What's one myth everyone should know about conspiracy theories or fake news? Oh, I think one myth. I I wrote a column for the Washington Post, five myths about conspiracy <laughs> theories. Give us five. You can, so, uh, you well, can do boom, boom, boom. I'll give you one of them since it's the lightning round. Um, one is that conspiracy theories are all tinfoil hat stuff, that it's all the shape-shifting lizards. And do those work, landing. by the way? Do tinfoil hats work? Well, so there was a study. I think the study was kind of tongue-in-cheek. They found that, if anything, the tinfoil amplifies certain radio frequencies. Mm. So so tinfoil hats are a conspiracy, if anything, to to get the signals amplified into your head. Wake Maybe. up, sheeple! Yeah. No, I don't, uh, I don't think that's terribly credible. But um, the stereotypical notion of a conspiracy theorist being this incomprehensible, tinfoil hat-wearing, believing absolutely anything kind of a person. I think that's a myth. There are some people like that, no doubt. But when you think of a conspiracy theorist, uh, I don't think that's what should come to mind. When you think of a conspiracy theorist, it's all of us. We're all susceptible to this kind of thinking. Is there any way to change someone's mind about a conspiracy theory? Well, why do you want to? You know, is it worth it? Oh, because he or she's going to vote and he or she's going to be a taxpayer. And we want everybody to respect science. We don't... uh, the discover the provable, objectively true things through science. So I think, you know, think about why they have such a very different worldview to you. Is it explicable entirely just by facts, by them not having the same facts or not accepting the same facts as you? Or may there be something deeper to it, some deeper aspect of their psychology or their circumstances, which leads them to see the world in quite a different way to you? Uh What's an area of psychology that you want to study? Or do you want to formalize this in a way that hasn't been done yet? Your, your work? Uh, well, something that I'm working on at the moment is uh, where we started, actually. The nature of belief. What does it mean when somebody says they believe something? And so I'm interested in the, the gray area between opinion and fact, knowledge and belief. And at least in my preliminary research here, and there's other research which supports this, people, when you think something is true, when you accept it, then you're more likely to call it a fact. When you think it's not true, you disagree with it, you're more likely to say that's not a fact, that's just your opinion. And so that makes conversations difficult when we're not even all on the same page about fundamentally what is a fact and what's an opinion. Well, that's what's led to so much of the controversy, again, with both climate change and what to do about COVID-19. 
like what is the best thing to do people say well that's just your that that is your opinion and this idea that's emerged is let me ask you this is it new is it a different thing that's happening now where people expect their own opinions anybody's own my opinion your opinion anybody's opinion to be just as good as the opinion of an ex of a person who's an expert who has studied this, is that new or does that go back 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 to the beginning of Og and Oget in ancient caves? Yeah, if I had to speculate, I'd say it's probably not new. So conspiracy theories we know are, certainly are not new. They go all the way back through recorded history. Basically, people have been talking about conspiracy theories. And, you know, more broadly, fake news, misinformation, and distrust of the media. This is not new either. This goes back to the beginning of news as a business model. You know, once you had to fill pages, print a certain number of pages every couple of days or every week, then that lowers the bar to what is considered newsworthy. So you have to fill your pages. And people were aware of this, and they complained about the rampant falsehoods that people were printing. And and this has gone back and forth through the years. So again, I think the main message is that people aren't stupid. People know that there's bad information out there and there's good information and we want the good information as much as we can have it. But people are also living in quite different worldviews, mentalities. Well, let me ask you a question. Could we, could we live in a world without conspiratorial thinking or is that just fundamental to our nature? Well, I think if, uh, if we did, if, if nobody had any kind of conspiracy mentality, if you just accepted everything you were told and never suspected somebody of plotting against you, uh, well, you'd be an easy mark, right? So it has, a, it has an evolutionary value, perhaps. Yeah, I think in our evolutionary history, it made perfect sense to think in these terms, to see patterns, to see intentions, and to, to stick with our beliefs, to have some kind of confirmation bias when somebody's trying to persuade you you're wrong. You know, that's not necessarily uh, an, ir- an irrational thing to have. So let me point out, that's just the kind of thing a psychologist would try to tell me. Our guest today has been Professor Rob Rutherton, a psychologist at Barnard College. His books are Suspicious Minds, Why We Believe Conspiracy Theories, and Bad News, Why We Fall for Fake News. So remember, when it comes to figuring out what's fake and what's true about pretty much anything, Science science rules. Now, if you like Science Rules, and I hope you do, please take a moment to rate and review it in Apple Podcasts and on everybody's favorite, Stitcher. Be sure to look at my socials, as the kids say, for more information on our upcoming guests. I'm at Bill Nye on on all those things. Meanwhile, if you'd like to leave us a voicemail, give us a call at 201-472-0785. 201-472-0785. Or submit a question at your homepage, askbillnye.com. Science Rules is produced by Harry Huggins and our very own Corey S. Powell. Casey Halford mixed this episode and composed our original theme. Josephine Martirana is our executive producer. Chris Bannon is the chief content officer here at Stitcher. And at Stitcher, Science Science Rules. Stitcher. 
From muddy jungle paths to snowy trails to rolling sand dunes, the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder is ready to take you to some of the most phenomenal destinations on Earth. In a Pathfinder, it's more than just the arrival. The real excitement comes from the ride to get there. With seven drive modes, Pathfinder's available intelligent four-wheel drive is built for some of the most epic journeys. So chase bigger, better, more exciting adventures in the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder. Intelligent four-wheel drive cannot prevent collisions or provide enhanced traction in all conditions. Always monitor traffic and weather conditions.